Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chandler. Happy New Year, Food and Faith Podcast community. You've got all three of your hosts here today, and we are grateful for the bit of a break that we've had over these last few weeks, and we are very excited to be back with you all and back in conversation together and looking forward to what will be happening at the intersection of food and faith in 2021 and how we can be part of those conversations and being in conversation with you and with so many who are curious about how is God moving in the soil around the table, in the plants, in the food, in the food systems, um, and in our faith communities as well. So today we have a long list of things that we would love to chat about with the three of us, and we'll see how far we get. Um, So we invite you to enter into what it looks like when Sam and Derek and Anna hang out and talk food and faith. Is that what this is? (laughs) Yeah, that's basically... That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, so, happy New Year, friends! Happy New Year. What's um, up? I think um, I think let's 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 start with the at the obvious place, right? Um, we we last week had a peaceful transition of power, um, <laughs> which ish. Peaceful-ish. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, and, and, you know, for the first time in any of our lives, that that was in question. Um, But it happened. And I think that there's a lot of things, um, just generally, that I'm hopeful for with this new administration. But one of the things that I'm hopeful for, one of those things is... um, hoping that we have a an administration that will be more uh in tune with some of the things that we on this podcast are concerned about um whether that's um caring for farmers whether that's environmental justice and climate change whether that's racial equity um you know hoping that there is there is space for uh some of those conversations that maybe haven't been able to happen for in the last four years, except for as um, as resistance to what was happening in the Oval Office, um, how are how are you two feeling about about the incoming administration and and how it might um, affect some of the conversations that we might have? Yeah, I'm just sitting as I am currently, sort of in my office, just thinking about. In my in my church office, and thinking about how the entire air of the country has changed, and that's not, and I'm I'm not here to say that's always entirely positive. You know, I'm just watching watching that there's a very different air, and so for me as a as a pastor, as a person invested in faith, like paying attention to that air and seeing you know how it impacts the community in which I find myself, and then discovering what places where it it. It is providing some oxygen to some new conversations that need to happen, um, and where also it's going to create some 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 tension um, and some opportunities, you know, to teach and to grow. So, but on the whole, I mean, I I am I am so 
enthusiastic simply for the fact that we're dealing with facts and we're dealing with science and we're leaning into we're leaning in into truth and as somebody who has a science background it's like can we at least start there can we at least can we at least begin with facts um right you know, and my hope is that we can do that in a faith context, that it provides, that the air has changed so that inside of our churches, we're no longer dealing with conspiracy theories. Um, and, you know, and and this idea, well, I'm just asking the question, and as I do quote things that nobody can see. Um, <laughs> but no, actually, here are the facts. How do we respond to those facts, both as a nation and as people of faith? What do those facts call us to? And so... Um, so it is a it, it it feels like a complex time, um, but it feels like the beginning of a garden. Um, there mm. we have added some nutrition to the soil. Um, there's still some problems with the soil, um, and I'm looking forward to this growing season of what the next four years are going to look like. I really am, um, and so I'm I am positive about it, even as I wonder what the challenges ahead will still be. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I love bringing the garden analogy because I think I've been hearing you know that like Eric mentioned you know we're no longer just like putting like the whole, like plugging the holes in the dam or the sinking ship. Like there does feel like there's a shift from being reactive to actually being in alignment with a lot of good work that needs to be done, you know, and, and continuing, we need to keep, keep pushing all of us and the administration forward in many ways. Um, But the image that just came to me, Sam, when you were saying that is like, it's like we've been trying to grow a garden with like, Roundup being sprayed over our garden on a regular basis. Like we wake up in the morning and we're like, oh no. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I mean, anybody that's started a garden knows. I mean, there are gardens where all you do is weed, which keeps you from actually producing fruit in some way. Like you get what you get. But, but I feel like that's what we've been doing is just pulling weeds the entire time. Like, shoot, there's this huge thistle that all of a sudden popped up out of nowhere that is going to is going to impact the way we think about things. So whether that thistle has been immigration, it's been our lack of attention to climate change, pandemic, I mean, racial, racial inequality, yada, yada, yada. Like, I feel like all I've done is weed and nobody likes weeding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet there, here we are potentially at a place where we've seen that there are weeds and we know what they look like. And they're, you know, I think thinking theologically about that time of apocalypse, that unveiling and, being in the season of epiphany it's like we have seen something we have seen what it can be and we can choose that that is not the path we want to walk um and i i mean i join you both in feeling i feeling hopeful i think i feel hopeful in a very um tempered nuanced uh on guard for apathy kind of way of um that I think that my orientation, what the image that keeps coming to me is that I want to change my orientation from one that is reactive to one that is eyes wide open and proactive. That and it, and I think it's many of the same issues we have been working on the last four years in a reactive way. We need to continue to dig in more deeply, but we can do it because it is right and good that we have a more just system of food in our country. It is right and good that we have immigration policies that are humane. It is right and good that we work on the issues of white supremacy and find a way forward racial justice and that we can proactively put put energy into, um, into that work. So that feels hopeful to me. Yeah. And the other thing that I am just really um, 
finding is, you know, I, one of the things I was so moved by at the inauguration and in some of the conversations, you know, in the, in the country is to see a Christianity that I recognize in public mm-hmm. and to, um, to see a Christianity that I can say, yes, Christianity is about caring for the poor and marginalized. Christianity is about believing that there is hope and resurrection, even in times of death and doubt and struggle and pain. And Christianity is about equity and is about the common good and is about caring for all people. And to see that in, in leaders and in the religious leaders that are surrounding our leaders, um, that feels deeply hopeful to me as well. Um, and a Christianity that believes in science and facts and truth and like that, that that's powerful. And that gives me hope. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you said that. I, I really feel like there has been so much swimming upstream uh, in terms of of the public understanding of, of faith. And I, and I think within our communities, we are we are doing this. We are we are having these conversations of of really um, dissecting our faith because we see versions of our faith that are so contrary to our reading of scripture and our understanding of of who Jesus was and um, what the biblical mandate is for justice. Um, it was it was really it was really encouraging. I, I think you said it well, Anna, to see a Christianity that I recognized as as um, one that was one my own, um, or or at least my own in parts. Um, you know, I think there there was room and opportunity, maybe opportunity missed for a little more in the inauguration. I think there was opportunity missed for a little more um, holding up of interfaith understandings of who we are as a country um but you know that's that's um that's maybe a nitpick of mine and and i and or a hope for the future that we or or, yeah maybe a hope for the future that we that that becomes a part of the conversation that we're not we're not just a christian nation we are a christian and and not we're not just a christian nation and we have several different kinds of christianity and and all of those things are a part of the beauty of the country um, and not a detriment to the health and vibrance of the country. Um, so it is, yeah, it is really encouraging to see that as we, as we move forward with um, food and faith conversations. Um, transitioning from the, from the faith part to more the food part, um, one of the things that's been really interesting in, in sort of the transition was the um, announcement of Tom Vilsack as as um, uh, head of the Department of Agriculture, um, I have a very um, short Tom Vilsack story, personal Tom Vilsack story. Um, I was a part of an organization, an urban organization in Pittsburgh, that we have a they had a big annual fundraiser, and this is kind of our big fancy end of the year. Uh, gala kind of thing and just kind of on a whim the leadership of the organization reached out and said you know can we get someone from the Obama administration to come and and be present for our big fundraiser and uh, they sent Tom Vilsack and I was like right (laughs) you 
you sent, you sent the Secretary of Agriculture to do the fundraiser for an urban ministry, and I was I, like, I, I I've never quite gotten over that. <laughs> Um, but, um, uh, Sam, I wanted to ask you, like, I think you're maybe more plugged in into some of these conversations than that uh, of the three of us, you're probably the most plugged into these conversations. What was your response and some of the responses you were hearing to, um, the nomination of Tom Vilsack to kind of come back into a position that he'd once held? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting pick and not interesting in the in the way of hey let's see what happens it's it really is interesting politically um wanting to tap you know it so we are we're in such a season of upheaval and for the biden administration there's so much about trying to just put some very basic things back together and one of the things i think we saw in the last administration is trying to blow everything up and do everything new and like you know this whole drain the swamp idea can become like it can quickly become overwhelming. So it makes sense to me that what President Biden would do is reach back to some people who kind of know how the how the game is played, if you'll forgive me for that analogy. You know how to actually govern. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you know, somebody who knows how the Department of Agriculture runs makes sense to me. Um, you know, and so I can understand it from from that point of view. Um, and, you know, and you have a track record with somebody and, you know, the powers that be kind of understand how to talk to him. The challenge is, is that there is a lot about Tom Vilsack that is that seems to be, in my opinion, directly opposed to the agenda that the Biden administration is leaning into. Um, and it speaks to the problem um, that we have around agriculture as part of our political discourse. One of the things that regularly happens is ag is actually one of the places where I, I it seems to me and drop into our mentions if you disagree and let's have this conversation. But ag is actually one of those places where I think we have two political parties that actually really agree on how to move forward. Um, and they agree to move forward in ways that, that in my estimation are pretty detrimental. Um, they lean into large corporate agriculture. Um, they lean into um, multinational ownership of land. They, you know, it, they are not invested in developing what the next generation of agriculture is going to look like because everybody seems to benefit. And so one of the things that is a concern to me is that we're not going to talk a lot about ag policy because right now everything is about how, do, how are we unified and food is actually the one place in which we are 100% unified. And so I have some questions that, you know, of how Mr. Vilsack is going to, is going to administer um, food policy in this country. You know, for instance, he has, you know, he has a track record that he oversaw um, the uh, the merger between Bayer and Monsanto, which mm -hmm. further increases corporate, you know, ownership of our food policy, um, you know, ownership of chemical, you know, investing in an in an industrial agriculture and making it significantly larger. Um also, in much of his language, there is a concern about, you know, well, gee, we really want to reach out to rural America, which as a rural American, like rock on, let's do that. Let's have those conversations. But not being aware of the fact that what we t typically mean as rural America are white farmers, which and that is quickly diversifying. So when you say rural America, are we really talking about all rural Americans or only the ones who have had power and authority in rural spaces? And it also doesn't reflect the fact that so much of our food production is we are being creative and progressive about it and it is moving into some urban spaces. So what does that look like? Like if it's only about what's happening in the 
the Midwest. I love my Midwestern farmers. You guys have been doing it forever, but it doesn't reflect the, the quickly um, diversifying face of agriculture. And so if, if this administration is just going to prop up what we typically think of as big industrialized white ag, we have a lot of problems um, not not only in supporting farmers who are actually on the ground, but in supporting Biden's larger administration. Big industrial ag is not going to do anything about climate change until it's right. too late. Ultimately, it will do something because the economic impact will force it to do so. But it will do so at a time that is far too late for us to actually make a difference. Um, you know, it, it will finally tap into some to racial disparities in agriculture, but it will do so too late in order for it to actually create opportunity for those who have been marginalized um, and oppressed in our ag system. So I understand the political. Um, I understand the appointment. It makes sense. You can't have newbies all over the place. But this is one of those places where the, the Biden administration invites some skepticism from me as somebody who's, you know, just as a citizen um, and, a, and a person of faith who wants to see our country go in different directions. Yeah. I really appreciate you laying it out that way because I, you know, I've been seeing a lot of opinions and I um, am grateful for a greater understanding. And I guess I'm curious. So for those of us who are, who care about how our food is grown and who is growing it and who has access to it and who has access to the resources to be a farmer. Um, you know, if you could sit down and say, okay, I, I get that we have a kind of a get, but let's back, back to the status quo kind of leader, but this is a new era. This is a new generation. You know, what would you say, Sam? Like, what are, what are your top three or, or who, who do we need to be listening to? Who are who are the people you want to be leading this conversation? Even if they're not leading the ag department right now, who do you want steering steering us in this, this direction? Ooh. That's a challenging question to answer because I believe the people who are ultimately going to take us into the next generation of agriculture are still being formed. Like the 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 knowledge the knowledge base that we're working from, um, the science. The organizations that, that, that are going to help move these things forward are, are still, I believe, in development. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about this movement is, you know, there is like we are learning and growing very, very quickly. Um, you know, but there but there is still some development to be to be done. Um, I guess if, if, if I could sit down with Mr. Vilsack, I would say I fully appreciate um this idea of trying to get back to a place that was at least stable. I mean, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like let's get back to stable in some way, like let's get back to something that is predictable. Um, you know, our, our farmers have been run through trade wars like crazy. That's just not useful and helpful policy and it hasn't been. Um, but if it's just about getting back to a status quo that was that serve some and didn't serve others, um, then 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 we're going to have problems going forward. And so figuring and 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 so part of what I think the Department of Ag needs to do is is to identify those those identify those places where there can be real leadership developing. And and they are out there. 
Uh, organizations like the Northeast Sustainable Agriculture Working Group, which is doing phenomenal work around racial justice. Um, our friend Julian Hishaw and her organization Farms is doing remarkable work around around this. And she also understands law. She understands policy better than anyone I've ever talked to in person. Um, she's simply phenomenal. So she would be somebody that I would want to have in these kind of conversations. Um, you know, the, and, and, um, the, and another one, the, the Pennsylvania Association for Sustainable Agriculture, just one that is, that is fairly local to me, Pennsylvania just being a couple miles up the road, doing some really interesting work around, around sustainability. Um, the Land Institute out in, out, out in the Midwest, we need to bring those people in and they need to have at least as much influence as lobbyists. Um, okay. I am sympathetic sometimes to the idea that lobbyists really are trying to come in and they have a particular viewpoint. You know, they are representing a particular clientele and trying to do in their mind what is best for that for that clientele. It goes sideways in a hurry. But so having people who advocate for dairy farmers that are currently on the ground, having people that advocate for soybean and for wheat and for corn that are actually doing that work now makes sense. But we need people advocating for climate-based and soil-based solutions as well. And they need to have equal seats at the table. And that equal seating has got to go beyond the finances that they're going to pour into it. Because, you know, there's a reason that lobbyists work, because there's a lot of money that flows into that. And there's a reason that sustainable agriculture has struggled, because we're still developing that financial base um, to the point where we can participate in the in the government, in the processes of government. Um, so it, So those are some people that just people that have impacted me that I think have a message that is scalable to our nation um, mm-hmm. and have enough and, and are probably ready to contribute policy wise. Um, those, those are some places I would start. The thing that pains my heart is I know I've missed 50 other organizations right. and people that are also yeah. doing that work. you know um, they're out there. But it's got to be more than just, but the Department of Ag's got to go find them and has got to give them a place at the table. Well, and here's here's a place where, you know, I, I am definitely a liberal, but there's also places where the federal government can't do everything, right? And a lot of the conversations that we have around agriculture really do need to be local conversations. <laughs> and so I think I think you're you're absolutely right that the idea of empowering some of these local voices. Um, I, I, th- I think, you know, if I were to have this conversation with, with uh, Secretary Vilsack, and please, if you want to come on the show. Uh, I'll say Vilsack, you've gotten him uh, once before. Like, why not? <laughs> yeah, be happy to have him. <laughs> we'd love, honestly, would love to have this conversation with him. Um, one piece of legislation that's kind of, that's kind of come up and it's, and it's been introduced by, you know, some of our faves, uh, Corey Booker, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kristen Gillibrand, is this idea of a Justice for Black Farmers Act um, that uh, would be would be enacted by the Department of Agriculture? Um, one of the and it's 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 basically an idea of creating um, incentives and grants and money for for Black farmers to uh, get back in the game because there's been a history, um, a fairly long history uh, in this country of of black farmers losing land in in various ways now i know that's been true of all farmers but it's been it's been um particularly true of black farmers um and this you know this kind of in among the three of us kind of passed around um you know so kind of interested in in hearing like what are your 
what are your thoughts on this as as sort of a like a potential administration priority um what are your what are your thoughts about that well i was really struck when i, I mean, first read it that it's the fact that it's happening and been introduced i think is positive um and i think it points to you know sam what you were saying about who are the voices in the room and whose whose voices are being centered and you know when i read read some of the people who are supporting it um i was like okay great you know if if leah penningman the co-executive director and farm manager at soul fire farm is for it like i really respect her and her work and um and so i think this is a this is a it's positive that legit, I believe I, my sense is it's positive that legislation like this is even being formed and, and offered. Um, I know that there's been some pushback, um, understandably from indigenous peoples who also obviously have had, had land, um, stolen and taken away and, um, for, you know, the hist for hundreds of years and, um, and I think no bill is perfect. And I think no bill, we, we have multi, a multiplicity of issues around land in this country, right? And a multiplicity of injustices. And so that are all layered on top of each other. You know, I think that um, this is something I'm always struck with when, you know, when, when like a land acknowledgement is done and you kind of start to do the research and say like, you know, people want kind of the simple answer of like, what indigenous tribe lived on this land? And it's like, well, at this point in time, this one did. And then they were driven out by the colonizers. And then this one did, and then they were driven out. And then there was maybe a plantation here. And then, you know, like, it's just that, that like the layers of injustice on our, on our literal plots of land in our different geographies are, um, are deep. So I guess it's one of those things that I feel like we need to acknowledge the complexities and the imperfection and the, that there's not going to be, there's not one solution to a multi-layered complex set of interconnected issues. And from where I sit, which is, uh, there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter about all of these issues than I am, but from where, where I sit, it seems like, well, that seems like a good thing, right? Like we're, we're taking a stab at, at, at one of the issues that's interconnected and that we know, know is, um, you know, is, is out there. So I guess my hope is, is that this is the first of many such justice for blank farmers acts, right? That, that there is, there is a, this is the first, and then we're going to see a justice for Latinx farmers, justice for indigenous farmers. And it's, and then it's not just farmers, it's about land use and it's about land care. And that this is, this is um, a beginning, not an end. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's my hope too. I think one of the things about the Biden administration is like, I think once, even once Biden won the nomination, there was sort of a sense of, okay, there's not going to be miracles worked here. There's not going to be a silver bullet. Um, there's not going to be, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten out of this idea of sort of a, a savior complex of one person's going to come in and fix everything. Um, but I, I, I'm hopeful like you are that this is a step in the right direction um, for our, our land use in our country. As I heard about this coming out, I was um, 
I was reflecting on there's a there's a face there's a social media clip that goes around every Martin Luther King Day. Um, it's this interview. He's in a church. I guess we could post it if we want to. But you know, he talks about, um, and it's a it's a powerful interview. Um, but it's 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 the one extended clip of MLK that white people will um, will post. Um, short of the "I Have a Dream" speech, and I've actually seen it more than the "I Have a Dream" speech. But I don't know that we've paid enough attention to it because MLK talks about um, that when white peasants came to this country, there was a real effort. There was policy to create an economic base, and so there were millions of acres of land that were given away to, for free to economic to um, to white Europeans to establish an economic base in this country. Um, he's absolutely right about that. That was that was policy. Um, and the thing and but that economic base was never given um, to those who had been liberated from slavery. And he goes on to talk about, you know, it's a cruel jest to ask somebody to pull themselves up to ask a bootless man to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Um, and so for those who might want to recoil, like, wait a second, why are we why are we doing this? Like, why are we making land policy? Well, the truth is land has always been poli like land distribution is policy in this country and it has not been equitable. Part and and then that takes me to another place where it's like our agriculture because of that, our agriculture might be irreconcilably white. We just got done talking about you know big ag and industrial ag and all that, like which might be best rebranded as white agriculture, mm -hmm. and it might the only way forward to a more climate um, climate sensitive and eco justice sensitive agriculture is to actually go a completely different direction than white Europeans having complete and total ownership of our food production systems. Um, and so I think this is one of those ways where something that for many farmers, they would recoil from a bit like, wait a second, why, you know, this whole, you know, all lives matter BS, for, like that's where I'm coming from. Well, you know, we should do this for all farmers. Well, no, we've had economic policy that needs to change and the changing of that economic policy as it relates to race may actually be, may actually not be a silver bullet per se, but be something that starts us towards thinking about a more holistic agriculture. So, um, so this feels like a step in the right direction. All of, all of the criticisms that have been levied at it, I think are legit. Yeah. We need a lot more than this, but Again, African-American farmers in this country have a unique kind of oppression that needs to be addressed via policy. And this feels right. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. And there are some voices that are all in on it. Like Leah Peniman has a lot to say about this. Um, and those, that, that's another one of those voices that Mr. Vilsack needs to keep closer rather than not. So, yep. um, so there's a lot to like here. Um, Let's see where it goes. And, you know, and and let's have communities of faith say land policy matters to our faith. Well, and, and I'll even take it a step further. Let's let's have communities of faith step forward and say we want to be a part of the encouragement for particularly for young African-Americans to think about farming and to bring their bring their faith lens to that farming. You know, I think there's a there's a space there for that. So we want to. I want to shift the conversation now to um, we've talked a little bit about our hopes for the administration and um, what we'd like to see happen, but you know, we're, we're in faith spaces um, and I'm kind of interested in what are our hopes for this conversation that we've been trying to curate 
2021. Um, this food and faith conversation amongst people of faith, amongst faith communities. Um, where, where are your hopes for this conversation going into the next year? I mean, I have lots of hopes, but I'm really excited about what Sam is already working on. So I'd love to start there. Like a lot of my hope comes from 2020 and what I experienced. Um, with the Keep Until, every church around here, well, not every church, every, every, most churches were shut down and Keep Until could keep meeting because we had a garden. Mm-hmm. And like, so when everything is stripped away, we could still go back to the land. Um, it was true here at St. Mary's. We have, we have not met since March um, in person, um, but we put in seven little garden beds out back before I got here. And our kids and some of our adults were able to come up and were able to participate in that. It's like even the land, the land's the only thing to beat the pandemic, Mm -hmm. it seems. And there was this stripping away of sort of all these accoutrements that build up in communities of faith. And it left this, it left this experience of real connectedness at a time when we needed connectedness so badly. Um, Maybe that's just my experience. Maybe other faith communities haven't experienced it quite that way, but it's when everything was taken away, what was left was food and was land and the work that we share together to support one another. And so um, that realization, I'm hoping, is the inspiration for projects that are being born as we speak. That's my that's my hope. Um, you know, I recently got a call from from another church north of here who said, hey, we heard all about what you were doing. We're thinking about putting in a garden because it's something we can do. Can, can you come? Like, I'm not that special, but like those kinds of things are being born all over the place. And, and churches that are much more incarnational in that respect are what really gives me hope. Um, and something that I hope to see in 2021. And I, I, I hope to just be awash in learning about those things because of that. Um, and getting to something that is near and dear to my heart, you know, one of the things that we experienced as a family was that, um, you know, all of our sports went away. Um, a lot of our 4-H activities and stuff, you know, a kid, like all of our kids stuff went away, which allowed us to spend a lot more time with our animals. Mm-hmm. And so, we, you know, and, and you all know my, my, how much I love animals. And so it was, it was a good year in that respect. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about my relationship to livestock. Um, and just raised a ton of questions for me. And so one of the things that's really exciting for me in 2021 is using this platform. And you guys have been really generous to say, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and find some find stuff out. Um, is that I'm I'm excited to have a series of interviews that are going to be broadcast on on this pod, um, looking at the different ways in which our faith informs how we think about animals and livestock and um, and. In, and, and thinking about that in ways that is informed by the ways that we often talk about gardening and vegetables and all that. Like sometimes it's eat. And the reason we do that, the reason we always start with vegetables is because it's the easiest, most cost effective way to, to enter into the food and faith conversation. But we, we can't forget that so much of our agriculture in this country and across the world is in relationship to other species. And you know, so much of our, so much of our protein is, is animal related. And so what does it mean to be a person of faith and to have these relationships with animals? Um, what does it mean that, you know, we dedicate so much of our time to them and then, and then, then we slaughter them and we consume them. What does that look like? What is, what does it mean to be ethical in the raising of those, uh, raising of those animals? And so for me, I, 
I want to invite the podcast to go on that personal journey with me as I sort of sort out some of that. Some of that means sorting out my own history as growing up on a dairy farm and a fairly progressive one at that. Um, I want to explore what it means that I'm raising hogs now and that we're selling them for meat. What does that look like? Um, how does somebody who runs a CAFO, a concentrated animal feeding operation, how is how does faith inform that? Um, maybe, you know, Maybe it's a positive view of faith. Maybe it's not. Let's at least ask the questions and see what see what you know what comes out of that. And so I'm excited to have a survey of the different ways that people engage with our our animal uh, neighbors and seeing how faith informs that, um, and hopefully go on a journey where we can think more carefully about how we interact with other species and uh, the positive aspects of that, and maybe the ways that we haven't been as thoughtful about that. So that's something that 2021, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that journey in my own life. Um, and I'm hoping it contributes something positive, not only to the pod, but to others who love animals the same way that I do. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. I mean, good learning for all of us. Well, I'm just glad I get to do interviews in a barn. Like that's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. So where are you? Um, like, where, like, what, what's firing you up about the year to come? I think one of the things that continues to stick with me from the, from 2020 is how we were all constantly reminded about our interconnectedness and how the choices that we each make are impact other people. I mean, be that you don't wear a mask and spread COVID to somebody or, you order your food to be brought to your front door, but who's bringing it and who, who, who cooked it? What were their conditions? I mean, it's just the pandemic feels like it um, was a reminder of what is always true, which is that all of our choices impact other people's choices and that there's, um, there's a, you know, this, this collective web that we're part of. And, um, you know, I mean, Sam, I think you, you said this a number of years ago, and I quote you all the time of this idea that one of the things about food is that it it's like pulling a thread in that web and it 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 connects to all the other pieces of the web and it very directly can bring us there. So I think one of my hopes is to continue to hold the level of awareness of our interconnection that we've had during the pandemic up and and build on that. Um, and not kind of fall back into the, oh, well, everything's kind of working as it, as we used to be it being, and it's, it, you know, whatever normal means, and that we forget that there are people in meatpacking plants, and that there are people picking lettuce, and that there are people who are driving trucks, and there are, and grocery store workers, you know, like, everyone, you know, there's this wave of, oh, we appreciate our grocery store workers, and you know, I think that's even now that's fading in a way that I think is, 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 um, is not okay that we need to, we need to continue to, to turn those pieces upside down and, and actually change policy and economic equity in ways that, um, that, that make a shift. And so I guess that's some of my hope for myself as a staying aware and, and being an advocate also for, you know, the bigger country and world, um, and for the pod that we can keep leaning into what we've always hoped to do, which is to raise up conversations that maybe are not happening at a 
or not not available to everyone <laughs> and that are not necessarily those connections aren't being made so to keep being a place of making connection um i think that i'm particularly excited about in 2021 um on a local level is working with the good news garden movement to get more church-owned land growing food and and just faith communities growing food um and I hope to do that in an interconnected kind of way that, you know, I have a not so secret agenda that I, I hope that some of these faith communities are going to transform food policy in their local areas, right? That that's not, it's not just about gross and vegetables. It's about tapping into that interconnection and learning and reflecting on how faith and policy and action and community organizing it it's all connected and um and it is for those of us who are people of faith that it's it's all part of being being faithful and being in our faith journey um so those are some of my hopes and i'm also excited about one of the projects that um we're going to do here on the pod that derek and i are going to spearhead around um cooking which is something that um many of us maybe have have had a little bit more time for in these past months um and how is how do, how is the intersection of food and faith apply um to us when we are we're cooking in our own homes ourselves and our families um but derek why don't you why don't you share share more deeply on that or whatever else you're well you're... <laughs> yeah i mean i think part of you know just just in the last day or so I, I have gone through my social media and noticed the number of tweets or Facebook posts of people begrudging trying to get food on their plates and not because of scarcity, but because of the drudgery of cooking. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I think that's one of the other things the pandemic has done is that Um, cooking has, I think in this time become more of a chore. Um, and I, one of the things that I, I really hope, you know, um, this place and Sam, I think you've, you've, you've said this before, the, the place where, where food trans, where, where plants transform into food is in the kitchen. And I think really highlighting that space, that kind of liminal space where, where, where plants and animals become food um i think is really kind of an important conversation to have but have um i think i think just generally i think chefs are super interesting um most of the chefs that i know are just super weird um and have really strange relationships to food and i i love it i love it because they they have an eye and an and a and a and a palette that is so unlike most of our eyes and palettes when it comes to you know looking for good produce the ways you know going back to what you said Sam their their relationship with the animals um, and and so much of that is and is is not just informed by faith but is in fact itself kind of a sacred act that that happens in the kitchen you know there there is a um, there is a ritual and ceremony that is that that cooking can be, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I part of my part of my um, you know over the last few weeks of thinking about this more intently you know part of my hope is to also just kind of restoke a joy for people about cooking, 
about being in the kitchen when in a in a year when it has been um you know i think when the pandemic started it was like hey we're all baking bread and then as the year went on uh maybe that was just me um it, it became like oh my god i i i have no idea what to cook anymore and and it became more of a more of a chore and so i i part of what i'm hoping in this series is that there's a we can maybe restoke that flame of a, a love for cooking um also just kind of you know personally and thinking about the about the church i don't know if i've actually mentioned on the podcast that um the louisville institute rewarded me a fifteen thousand um, dollar pastoral study grant which i would not have gotten without anna and sam <laughs> uh, anna told me about it anna and sam helped me um write the you know we're editors on the on the grant application and were huge cheerleaders for me along the way and could not have done this without them. Um, part of that grant is gonna be putting more resources into the podcast and thinking of ways to expand what we do here. But part of, you know, Anna talked about the interconnectedness and part of what I really wanna do is start building, like strengthening these, those connective threads between people who are having these conversations, people who are doing this work um, and, and getting more churches involved in this conversation and thinking about land use, thinking about um, the ways in which food is spiritual, um, the ways in which food is fundamental to our faith um, on, on so many levels. So that's one of the things I'm really excited is to kind of have a little bit of a little bit of space um, and a little bit of resources to um, begin thinking a little bit more about connecting or about creating a network of people who are interested in this conversation, a, a multiracial interfaith, um, intergenerational um, network of people who are interested in this conversation um, and, and want to see people of faith uniting uh, to change our food systems and to change our our relationship with with creation and food is the number one way that we we interact with creation so that's what I'm excited for and hopeful for in the upcoming year um, and I, I I'm really excited to um, you know have people on the podcast who uh, love to cook I, I'm, I'm really just you know I think you know Sam Sam's absolutely right that food tugs on everything. Everything that we care about has a food component. And I'm really just excited about expanding that conversation, expanding the reach of that conversation um, to more people um, and, and recognizing just, just how, um, how broad this conversation is and, and, and how, you know, we've, there, we've had all of these conversations around unity and some of them are, are, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and some of those are 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 false and um, and and poorly intentioned, disingenuous, disingenuous, problematic, uh, <laughs> problematic, <laughs> all, all, all the all the words. Um, um, but I but I do think that there can be a unifying conversation around food. Um, as, and it can be unifying as long as it's inclusive and as long as it's justice oriented and as long as it's um, it's it's open-minded around the ways that food touches our lives and the way that food has been uh, 
a force that has shaped history, the history mm-hmm. of this country and the history of this world. So um, that's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm hopeful for uh, in this coming year. I think we're going to have some just really amazing conversations and make some really great connections. So Food and Face podcast community, we would love to hear what you're hopeful for in this new year and what are the, who are the voices you're listening to? Who are the voices that you want to share with this broader community? Um, What are you up to? What's happening out there on the ground and how can we be part of um, supporting the work that you do and, and sharing. And we look forward to all that will come. We are, we are really grateful to you for continuing to be part of this community and continuing to have these conversations together. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, the Garden Church, and the Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.